This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British Royal history. Happy Pride Month, everybody, to any of listeners that are in the LGBT community, much like myself, I'd like to wish you all a happy Pride Month. With the exception of today's episode, for the rest of June, we will be talking about some royal LGBT history, some fun stories, and just trying to highlight the LGBT side of British royal history and the royal family and the peerage and all of that fun stuff. But I wanted to wish everybody a happy Pride. More news has come out about the royal yacht that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has commissioned that is very telling about how the royal family feels about it. So if you are just tuning in for the very first time a few weeks ago, as the UK and England has been opening up, the Prime Minister has announced that there is going to be a new royal yacht to be used to try to promote uh, British trade and to highlight British shipbuilding again and to try to put England back into the spotlight with shipbuilding, which is wonderful and awesome and has wonderful intent. However, Buckingham Palace and the Queen have made a few statements that really show how the royal family feels about it. The first one is that they didn't commission the ship themselves. The Prime Minister did. He's trying to bring back feelings of Britannia, which is wonderful, awesome, but Britannia, the royal family commissioned. The Prime Minister is commissioning this one, so that's the one big difference. And the other thing is that Buckingham Palace released a statement that they are respectfully declining that the ship be named in honor of the late Prince Philip. Yes, he was in the Navy, but they don't want him to be honored in that way, which is very telling. Another thing to note is that in all of this, the royal family hasn't been involved in the planning of the ship, the building of the ship, the layout. They haven't been involved in any way, shape, or form at all, which is very different from, from Britannia. Britannia was used not only for royal work, but it was used for royal play and royal leisure. And if you want to learn more about Britannia, we have a whole episode talking about her. So please tune into that to really understand why Britannia was such a significance. But the royal family has been very removed from this. They haven't had any involvement in this new ship. So it makes sense why they would want to respectfully decline being having Prince Philip be honored in such a way as a way to distance themselves. Additionally, again, to reinforce, they didn't commission it. They understand that their situation regarding their spending is very precarious. And if it is known that they commissioned the ship, it would just be more fuel to the fire for anti-monarchist sentiment. And they know where their position is. 
They didn't commission it. They haven't had any say in the layout of the ship. It was announced this week that in four years' time, the ship will be built, completed, and um, already be working within the Royal Navy. And the royal family has had no say or in any of it, which is very different from Britannia. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip actually had a lot of say in the design, in the layout, and were very involved in the construction of the former royal yacht. And they have the queen and any member of the royal family really hasn't had any involvement. So this, the past week, few weeks, they've been making statements distancing themselves from this new yacht to really point out we didn't want this, we didn't ask for this, we don't want any part of this, because they know that that would just be fuel to the fire to anti-monarchist sentiment. Additionally, royal travels changed. There's no need for the royals to have a yacht anymore, and the few instances, like with Prince Charles and Camilla, where they've been on vacation, they just commission one out of their own pocket they don't have they for the little blip that they need it and then they go back to their lives you know prince william and catherine haven't used a yacht to my knowledge but i'll need to go back and double check that but there isn't a need for the royal yacht anymore travel for them has changed their desires have changed and they don't have a need for it so they're really doing what they can to distance themselves from this new yacht that the prime minister commissioned I did get to see some of the mock-up photos that were circulating through social media and on Twitter, and it does look like they're trying to capture the old majesty of Britannia, but with new modern lines, which will be interesting to see once it's all completed. But that's the big news regarding the royal, the new royal yacht. The Prime Minister has all these wonderful plans for it, but Buckingham Palace and the Queen have been making statements and royal commentators have been coming out saying that no they're actually they're actually distancing themselves they really don't want anything to do with this yacht because they didn't ask for it in closing talking about their royal highnesses the duke and duchess of cambridge they have finished up their tour in scotland and overall it seems like it went fantastic they had a lot of engagements and the public really seemed to resonate with them but one that really touched a lot of people's hearts was one involving Catherine. a few months prior the duchess had a video conversation with a girl who i believe has cancer for her project highlighting those in suffering and doing their best in the pandemic this huge art project that she uh did so the duchess had a wonderfully touchy conversation with her and the little girl asked if we ever get to meet will you wear a princess dress or a pink dress or something and uh Catherine said oh i'll you know i'll try yes i have some princess dresses well that little girl finally got her dream and her wish and she got to meet uh the duchess at um the palace of hollywood house the little girl's family brought her there and it was really touching to see uh Catherine wear the pink dress like the little girl asked for and they had a wonderful touching afternoon and talking and that was something that really resonated with a lot of uh, people seeing Catherine do that for this little girl so that was one of the big highlights towards the end of the uh, royal tour of scotland as prince william prepares to be lord high commissioner to the general assembly of the church of scotland but overall, their tour seems to be going great, their engagements were very well received, and I hope to see more engagements like this in the future. Royals are officially back to work, as Her Majesty has been doing virtual engagements out of Windsor Castle. She's been meeting with ambassadors, uh, more royals are getting back to work. I know the Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall were seen doing engagements, and the Countess of Wessex is really out there doing a lot of work. She's 
really, really a big workhorse within the firm and a wonderful asset. So, but more royals are back to work and it's really reassuring seeing them do more in-person engagements as things begin to reopen across the UK. The UK is officially reopening again, and those in the peerage class and those in and those working for historic royal palaces and the royal collection are beginning to prepare or have already opened up their homes for the public to tour and to participate in, in events for the summer. I know Highclere Castle and Beaver Castle have already opened and have had a few weekend events. I know that Chatsworth Hall is opening soon and other places such as Belheim and Holcomb Hall are getting ready to open, but I haven't investigated into those further. Uh, Historic Royal Palaces and the Royal Collection are busy preparing the palaces and art collections to be enjoyed by the, by the public. I know that... Um, I believe this past weekend things have already opened and one thing that I'm truly excited to see is that they're getting ready for a royal fashion exhibition uh, through a historic royal palaces. I believe it's either at Kensington Palace or Hampton Court Palace. But it looks at the royal women's fashion, but a lot of it is the construction in planning. So there's lots of fashion sketches and mock-ups and actually some real gowns. There is the wedding gown worn by Diana, Princess of Wales, and the honeymoon pink dress that she wore getting uh, ready to leave. There is, which is something I find really cool, there is a mock-up, I believe it's muslin gown that the Queen Mother wore for her fittings to get ready for her coronation in the 1930s. They found it and they preserved it and that is on display and that is something I am very excited to see and to learn more about. Um, Their social media getting ready for it has been highlighting that gown in particular because of how delicate it is and the pressing process and the preservation of it has been highlighted a lot and it's so interesting so I would really go over to non-paid promotion the Um, Historic Royal Palace's Instagram pages, they've been really highlighting how they preserved this, I believe it's muslin gown that was used for her fitting for her coronation dress because the dress was so intricate and a lot of embroidery was really heavy. They couldn't have her be fitted in that gown. So they had a quick muslin one that she would wear and that's on display. Another gown worn by the Queen Mother. And it's this royal fashion, but royal fashion construction. And I find that just really interesting. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of today's podcast, just a quick little announcement. I've been looking through listing data, and not all of you have been making it to the end of the podcasts, but I wanted to at least take a moment and let you guys know that thank you for stopping by the podcast, and if you feel so inclined to donate to the podcast, there are two ways that you can do so. The first is a one-time donation PayPal link that is pinned on the Twitter homepage, which is at fanatic underscore royal. Or if you feel more inclined and would like to make uh, regularly scheduled monthly donations, there is a link on the Anchor homepage. Your donations will help make the podcast better in terms of more research material. I can have better editing software. I can uh, get more... uh, (laughs) I can get a larger selection of background music. I can invest in probably a better editor because I'm the only one that's doing it right now. But all of your donations will really go towards helping the podcast improve and keep making it the best product it can be. And if you do feel inclined to donate, you'll get not only a personalized shout out on social media and on the podcast, but uh, you will have first dibs at recommending topics for future episodes. This week, in fact, at the time of recording yesterday, marked the 68th anniversary of the coronation of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. 
1953, she took to Westminster Abbey and was coronated, and it was a moment for the history books. To mark that occasion, the royal family, across all their social media, announced the official plans for Her Majesty the Queen's Platinum Jubilee next year. Platinum Jubilee will mark 70 years on the throne as she ascended to the throne back in 1952 and her coronation was in 1953. While more details about the plans will be coming out in future weeks, we do have some news about the Platinum Jubilee. There will be a lot going on, but official events include uh, Trooping the Color, the lighting of the Platinum Jubilee beacons across the Commonwealth, uh, the service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral, a live concert called the Platinum Party at the Palace, where a lot of musicians will be invited to perform. Next is the Big Jubilee Lunch, and then finally the Platinum Jubilee Pageant. This will be a monumentous occasion, so you can guarantee that I will be reporting on it. But today, to mark the celebration of the coronation, we are going to be turning back the pages of time and talking about the coronation and talking about it through the lens of Lady Glen Connor. If you wish to look and watch the coronation, it is documented in its full entirety on the royal family's YouTube page. They've had their YouTube page for a while, and that's where a lot of Her Majesty's speeches and other monumentous events such as weddings go in their archives. They have the weddings of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, the Prince and Princess of Wales. They have the coronation, a lot of speeches, other events. But the coronation is presented in its entirety, and you can also purchase collector DVDs of the coronation. So there's multiple avenues you can go down to watch and participate in this occasion. But one thing I really want to talk about is uh, the coronation through the lens of Lady Anne Glen Connor. At the time, she was known as Lady Anne Cook, and she is a figure that we have talked about quite a few times on the podcast because her book, Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown, is so telling and such a wonderful perspective into the intimate life of being a courtesan and a lady in waiting. Her parents, the Earl and Countess of Leicester were very close to King George VI and the Queen Mother, and also to King George V and Queen Mary. Like Her parents and her grandparents were incredibly close to the Queen and the King and Queen and the royal family. And in fact, Lady Anne spent a lot of time as a little kid with the then princesses Elizabeth and Margaret. Lady Anne Glen Connor would then go on to be one of Princess Margaret's ladies-in-waiting for the better part of 30 years. In fact, even going so far as not only living with Princess Margaret at Kensington Palace for a year, but also spending a lot of time on Mystique together, which was the island that uh, Lady Glen Connor's husband, Lord Glen Connor, purchased. When Lady Anne was just was just a teenager, was just a young adult, was when the coronation happened, and she so happened to be the daughter of an earl. And one of the things that the coronation committee really wanted were these daughters of earls and marquises and dukes to participate and to be maids of honor. And being so close to the royal family, Lady Anne was picked, and she was picked to be a maid of honor. She was the right height, she was the right weight, she had the right complexion, the right everything to fit seamlessly in to be a maid of honor for the coronation. So what was the main purpose? Well, the biggest thing was to carry the monumentous train behind the queen as she walked in and out 
for the coronation and to hold it. That was one of the big things that she had to do. But there was a lot of rehearsal getting ready for the coronation. That's one thing that uh, Lady Glen Connor makes note in her book in the few chapters about the coronation is how long rehearsals were. And in fact, in a documentary that I watched, uh, the, those that were in charge of the ceremony were adamant that this coronation go off without a hitch because for the Queen's father, there was a mix-up in what side of St. Edward's crown and the Imperial State crown was the front. Apparently, as the story goes, they put a piece of string to mark where the front of each crown was, but when they picked it up, they lost the little string attached to it to mark where the front was. So they were adamant that this coronation go on without a hitch. And so Lady Anne talks about as <laughs> being very exhausted, these hours of rehearsals being at Westminster Abbey, going through things time and time and time again to make sure that it was right. But she was a maid of honor, and it was a big honor to be a maid of honor. And one thing that she still has is she still has her dress and the little um, headdress that she wore for the coronation. She still has that in her collection. Getting ready for the coronation, not only did the queen spend time preparing, checking out the imperial state crown and the crown of St. James's to wear so that her head could get used to the weight as those crowns are incredibly heavy. The queen also had to spend a lot of time trying to get used to walking with this gigantic train behind her. So the maids of honor would walk around Buckingham Palace with her with these bed sheets tied together to replicate the length of everything so they could get used to carrying uh, something that was so long and used to her movements but overall, it seemed getting ready for the coronation was actually quite fun and quite comical. All the gowns worn by the maids of honor, the queen, queen mother, princess Margaret, pretty much all the women involved in the ceremony itself were, of course, designed and commissioned by Norman Hartnell. And one thing that Lady Anne talks about in her book is that the dresses were incredibly tight and they weren't lined. So they were very thin. They weren't supported very, very well. And overall, just wearing the gown was apparently very, very, um, very constricting. They apparently weren't the most comfortable gowns to wear. So she's had all these rehearsals. She's getting... When they actually reach the coronation day, um, Lady Anne talks about that she actually stayed at an apartment with one of her other family members and her mom. And they got up incredibly early. And of course, the royal family and all involved were at Buckingham Palace. And there was a big to-do beforehand, but the ladies and the maids of honor were weren't necessarily invited to that in the morning they just had to go to Westminster Abbey and just wait so it's incredibly early in the morning they're all dolled up and they're at Westminster Abbey waiting for the coronation to take place and finally as the peers and everybody starts to process in they're just in the back waiting for her to show up when she finally does show up and the coronation actually takes place lady glenn connor talks how she was so in the moment and focused in what she was doing that she in some cases didn't appreciate too much what it is that she was doing she knew that it was a great honor to be there and she she is a part of history but she's gone back watched to watch the video and there are things that she either is just recognizing for the first time or remembering things as they happen. And one thing that happened is that she almost passed out. She really didn't eat much before going to the coronation because nerves and getting ready for the service. You know, she's only had a little bit here, a little bit there, but she almost passed out. <laughs> and one of the other maids of honor and one of the security guards caught her before she officially went out. And she was able to go on unnoticed without uh, having passed out. 
But she's gone on record saying that she's watched the coronation multiple times and there are still things that she notices for the very first time because she was so focused in the moment about making sure that she didn't mess up her job as maid of honor, making sure that the train was being um, was being supported and carried and that she did what she had to do and be featured in official phot- photographs and she in her book just talks about how she was just in awe of course after the ceremony after the coronation she was invited back to the palace for the official photographs and for food and some merriment to partake afterwards but she does remember make uh, that the queen just calm as could be steady as a ship and actually was making jokes with them the entire time when they were behind closed doors she would tell jokes and try to get them to laugh to try to lessen the intensity of the moment that they were in of course when we think to the coronation we do have to remember that prince philip was the one that was instrumental in getting it televised there's a whole documentary that i've almost watched all the way through about how prince philip and the queen mother really went toe to toe with the coronation because prince philip wanted to modernize it and the queen mother wanted to keep a lot of the tradition of the coronation the same and alive and not really touch it too much and so there was a lot of arguing beforehand and it really put the queen in such a precarious situation but the coronation i can't even imagine such an event as that i can't imagine this huge monumentous moment in history you know we watch it but it was only 68 years ago one of the things that lady glenn connor in closing talking about the coronation is how privileged she knew she was the entire time being there being on the front lines of being close to princess margaret and the queen and close enough to be invited to this and it was one of the starts of her fantastic royal career being so close to the royals and then eventually being a lady-in-waiting to princess margaret but that's at least the coronation through uh, lady gleg connor's eyes i don't have the book here in front of me i'm trying to go off memory here from reading it but i remember reading that chapter being in awe just hearing about all the rehearsals and lady glen connor oh i'm just now remembering this lady glen connor was the one who accidentally revealed the what the maid maid of honor gowns looked like so norman hartnell was very secretive about what the gowns were to look like she remembers the getting fitted and the designs but they were to keep everything private and when they were doing rehearsals towards the end where they had to show up in their gowns they had to be sure to cover them with coats and other things to be sure that no one knew what everything looked like well lady glenn connor thought at one point she was in the clear and a big gust of wind happened and it was everything just perfectly timed gust of wind her coat opened and it showed a little bit of the gown and a reporter caught a picture of it and so she the next the next day when it all got revealed of oh this is what some of the gowns look like she was a little at least a little bit upset but no one was angry at her because it was a situation that was outside her control but it was she remembers that embarrassment of oh no i i was no no but it was all out of her control but everything was kept so secretive about this coronation the only thing everybody knew was that it was at westminster abbey that was it and it was being televised no one knew any details and everybody wanted to know what uh it was going to be looked like so they had rehearsals at night they never rehearsed during the day rehearsals were always at night because again most reporters were asleep most reporters if they wanted the scoop either would try their best or didn't get it but it was also a time where they could have complete privacy 
No one would walk in. No one could accidentally stumble into it. And they ran it so many times. It was like a choreographed dance, I believe is how she remembered it. It was so well choreographed. Many, many, many late nights were spent at Westminster Abbey running through this with the maids of honor and a stand-in for the queen because the queen wasn't there for coronation rehearsals. She had rehearsals of her own separate. She never participated in the coronation rehearsals. And I believe, if my memory's correct from the book, they just took a car back to the palace. They never got to participate too much in the grand parade, but I think they actually did get to participate a little bit. I remember just reading that chapter, just quietly giggling to myself because of how far removed the maids of honor were. They were just kind of were just picked up, dropped at the abbey, picked up, brought back to Buckingham Palace, and they just had to wait for the queen to get there because they were the ones that had to carry her massive train. When we think of the coronation, it's really hard to fathom such a large historical event taking place coronation of a new monarch, the ending of an old era and the beginning of a new one. It's something that we don't think too much about because it's been so long since we've had one in and of itself. It's still very medieval based, which is something that echoes back to the long pedigree and history of the English monarchy being that it's well over a thousand years old. Yes, it is a constitutional monarchy and the role of the monarchy has evolved and changed, but the ceremony is still this tried and true medieval coronation ceremony with anointing and all cotton gown placed on top and the jewels and the glitz and the glamour. But it's still a very medieval ceremony and Lady Glen Connor, in some of her last remarks, just remembers being in awe of this whole ceremony, being at Westminster Abbey, where so many monarchs have been coronated and crowned before, being able to participate herself was something very rare. Not just being in the Abbey, watching it, actually being a part of it. There are still photos that you can see of the coronation, and it's, you know, all the maids of honor are labeled and you see her name. Who knows when we will have another coronation, but I doubt it'll be to that size and grandeur that it is a Queen Elizabeth's coronation. It was something of a rarity of size. But there you are, dear listeners, a retelling of the coronation through the eyes, being a maid of honor, being there through the entire process, but just being a background character to support and mainly carry this really long train. Today, we talk about the coronation, this monumentous occasion in British history, and who knows when we will have another one, or if we will have another one to this large and grand scale. My sources for today's episode are The Express, the Royal Family website and official Instagram page, and the book Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown by Lady Anne Glen Connor. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to recommend topics for future episodes or to let me know how I'm doing so I can improve the podcast, you can drop me a line over at BritishRoyalFanPod at gmail.com. I check the email regularly, so any and all recommendations are welcome. Additionally, if you feel so inclined that you would like to donate to the podcast, you can do so with either a one-time PayPal donation, which the link is on the Twitter homepage at Fanatic underscore Royal, or you can do a monthly donation, which is available on the Anchor homepage. Additionally, if you'd like to stay up to date with the podcast, you can do so over on the official Twitter page at Fanatic underscore Royal. 
I try to engage with all of you as best I can on there, and of course, I try to post updates for the podcast and what's going on within the royal family on there as well. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more to rate, review, subscribe, and share. The more you do that, the more people can interact with the podcast and the family can continue to grow. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. Stay safe and stay healthy. Do something nice for someone, and I'll see you in the next one.